Hello, and welcome to Grand Canyon Echoes, the voice of District 3 Toastmasters. Hello, Toastmasters. This is your podcast host, Don Griffith. I'm here today with Stephanie Angelo. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Don. Stephanie, you're a Toastmaster, is that correct? I am a Toastmaster, I think, since 2015. Okay, six years. Who invited you, or how did you discover Toastmasters? I think I first heard about Toastmasters actually through National Speakers Association, of which I'm a member. And I was first in Toastmasters in the very early 2000s for about three years, and then dropped out because at that time, we were working out of the legacy book, and I was having, for myself, difficulty finding time to work on the programs in the legacy book and my own professional speaking projects and presentations and so forth. So I did step out of Toastmasters after about three years and then rejoined in 2015, but found a different way to use Toastmasters that worked really, really well for me. I've got to ask, you were a member of National Speakers Association. You said you're a professional speaker. Why Toastmasters? Isn't that kind of like the baby class compared to those other things? <laughs> I think that Toastmasters can get a bad rap. There are, if I'm going to be honest, some things about Toastmasters that I think are not really conducive to professional speakers. And we can decide to talk about that or not. But the thing that I like about Toastmasters, and I've been very open with my club about this, which is Rise and Shine Toastmasters out of Mesa, by the way, a plug to my my colleagues there, is that they have allowed me to use this, the programs that are in the, the legacy program, and now, of course, we've all transitioned to Pathways, but they're allowing me to use many of the speeches that I have to do to progress, and I'm now about to start my third path in Pathways, by using parts of the speeches that I'm already doing on a professional stage, and finding a way to fit that into what I need to do, to do for Pathways as, in a sense, a practice, but I'm getting through Pathways. So, for example, let's just say it's something with humor. I have stories that I tell from the professional stage that might be humorous or entertaining in some way or another, which is, of course, what you want to do, right? And so, I can use that in front of my colleagues at Toastmasters and get helpful feedback, and I sure would rather practice it there than in practice that in front of, you know, a stage at the MGM Grand or something. So I think that there there's a lot of advantages to being in, post, in Toastmasters. Sure. And to be fair to Toastmasters, as you said, it isn't intended to train professional speakers. That's not its purpose. Correct. It never has been. The fact that it can be a stepping stone for people who want that is irrefutable. And the skills, the basic skills, it's like going to college. You don't start in taking graduate courses. You go take Econ 101 and English 101, and you look at the basics. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, Don. And I think that there are a lot of people in Toastmasters, in my club, for example, that do it for the camaraderie. Yeah. Or they do it because they're nervous at work meetings or whatever it may be, and that's totally fine. And then there are others who are crazy like me who came for the speaking and then picked up on the whole leadership style, the, the opportunities to learn how to lead, mm -hmm. and ran with it. 
Now, you were originally in Toastmasters before 2015. Correct. Tell me about that very first, go way back to that very first Toastmaster meeting. What was it like? Confusing, because I didn't really understand the roles. I didn't understand, first of all, that you have leadership roles within that. You know, we had a president and we had sergeant in arms and all of those things that I was like, what? <laughs> you know, it was I had no idea what was going on, nor did I understand the protocol of the meetings themselves. And so I learned about people doing their speeches and that we would have perhaps three speakers per meeting. And then we had this thing called table topics. What? You know, and I love, that's actually one of my favorite parts is table topics. I think that they can be so much fun, such a hoot and such a great exercise in thinking and answering a question on the fly. So there's something about table topics. I per personally really like, and I've actually won a couple of awards in contests for table topics. So that's, that's been fun. But going back to that very first meeting, I was completely lost. How long did it take you to get a little more comfortable with all of those early things? That's a really good question. I'm not sure I remember that far back, but probably about five meetings. Okay. And I think that that's something that we could perhaps offer to new members is almost like an onboarding. Now, oftentimes, as you know, Don, we have a new member that we don't know is coming. Yeah. They show up at a meeting and here they are. And so somebody could be doing their presentation from the stage and that person in the background is going, wow, that is so cool. And they don't understand. No, no, you can't talk while they're <laughs> presenting, you know, and things sure. like that. Or in table topics, when the person asking the question might interject something and and make a comment while somebody is doing their table topic, you have one and a half to two minutes, and having an interruption can really blow that for you, right? So uh, in that sense, I think a little bit of onboarding could really help. Sure, sure. But it's, it sounds like it's moved out fairly quickly, and you began to learn and grow. Well, now, of course, years later, you are an experienced speaker. When did you know that you wanted to be a professional speaker? Somewhere in the neighborhood of 2001 or two. Now, the way it got started for me, actually, is, you know, when I worked internally in human resources, I had to do a lot of trainings, orientations, that kind of thing. And I really liked that aspect. Now, I also come from an acting background. I'm a member of Screen Actors Guild. Really? I've been in some movies, you know, and I'm, I'm a card-carrying union member. Don't tell that to the human resources world, by the way. They have this thing about unions. <laughs> Mum's the word. No, right? one, no one will know. Just the fact that we're going to be on the internet soon. Exactly. All those people that are listening to this podcast. But I had volunteered for the Arizona State SHRM Conference. SHRM stands for Society for Human Resource Management, S-H-R-M, SHRM. And I had volunteered for the conference to be the programs chair for the 2001 conference. I had to get something like 23 speakers for that two or three day conference. And so we went to the very first meeting and I said to the group there, I don't have a clue. Where do I find speakers? Now, one of the people who was involved in that committee, not the speaking committee, but the conference committee said, well, I work for a couple of people that own a company called Smart Practice. Now, this is a dental practice and a 
chain of dental practices and services to dentists. Truthfully, I'm not totally sure what Smart Practice did, but the point was, she said, it's owned by Jim and Naomi Rohde, and they are professional speakers. They belong to the National Speakers Association. You should look at NSA. I was like, NSA, what the heck is that? Well, sure enough, I ended up hiring three professional speakers from NSA. And one of them became a very good friend of mine. They actually all became friends, but one in particular became a very good friend. And he invited me to my first NSA meeting and ended up becoming my mentor. This was a gentleman named Larry Colbert, who has since passed, unfortunately. But Larry was also visually impaired. He didn't lose his sight until he was well into his 30s. And he worked for, I think, NASA at the time somewhere as an engineer, but he spoke about that. And he was a wonderful, wonderful mentor. So that really got me started. And then there's that question, well, what are you going to speak on, right? Typical question. Now, for me, for the first 16 years, I actually spoke on domestic violence and the effects to the workplace. So I spoke all over the country. I even had opportunities to speak in Europe. And for me, Don. At around 2015, about the time I came back to Toastmasters, I felt burnt out. You know, domestic violence is a really difficult subject. I had written a true crime memoir with a woman here in Phoenix that suffered one of the most egregious cases. Uh, It includes the killing of her mother, and she survived 40 stab wounds, and I had also developed one of the first ever domestic violence or the first ever domestic violence educational board game. I was very entrenched in this. But after 16 years, I I hope most people will understand that I was burnt out. I took about a two-year hiatus and ran mastermind groups. I still have that site, actually, High Stakes Mastermind Groups, but it took me a while. And then I missed speaking. And... There's this saying that goes, give what your clients are asking for. My clients were asking me about how do I improve my company's culture? How do I address my company's culture? And when I started to get that question, I thought, huh, there's something going on here, right? I had street credibility. I had worked in wonderful cultures, and I had worked in extremely toxic toxic cultures. And I know the differences between the two. And so that's when I got completely and thoroughly immersed in company culture. And now I work with companies that want to outlive, outlast, and outperform their competition by having great company cultures and have also invented another board game. Does that keep you very busy? It is keeping me busy, and I'm really excited about that. Now, here's kind of a Funny story. <laughs> I was working on that board game. By the way, th- those of you who are listening, you, you couldn't see the, the look on her face when she said funny story. <laughs> this <They're>, is, <laughs> I don't know what to expect now. <laughs> they're going to get it now. They will understand. I was developing that board game in the fall of 2019 and in the winter of 2020. And I got the very first prototypes, the very first boxes. You guessed it, the second week of March. Remember what else happened the second week of March? Gee, let me see. Something like a run on toilet paper and a few other things happened. And so all of the workshops that I had lined up where I was going to introduce this game and introduce the company culture workshop that I had scrapped. 
And I sat there for a couple of weeks thinking, now what am I going to do? Oh, no, I'm yeah. toast. You'd put a lot into that. I'd put a lot into it. I had put hours. I had put money. I had used worked with designers. I, you know, the whole shebang. And while you're doing all of that, other opportunities were being set aside because you were focused on this project. I was very focused on that project. And then it all went down yeah. the drain. Yeah. Yeah. And so after a couple of weeks, I thought, you know, now what? Well, the world's going virtual. I'm used to virtual presentations, have been doing virtual presentations way back since the WebEx days, you know, in the mid, you know, like 2006 or so, I started doing a lot of virtual presentations. So I found a digital game designer and we spent two months creating a virtual version of my board game. And so once that was finally completed, right around May, I started launching workshops virtually with that game and people playing through the internet. I did not have an opportunity to actually do an in-person one with the real board game until just this past April of 2021. Yeah. <laughs> so now you've, you, you did almost a year of the virtual, and now you've started doing the in-person games. Tell us the differences. Are there strengths and advantages to one or the other? Because a lot of Toastmasters are trying to figure that out for their regular meetings. Should we go virtual? Should we go back to our meeting place? Should we try to hybrid? You know, virtual hasn't stopped, and I don't believe it's going to stop. I am still doing virtual presentations, not necessarily just of the game workshop, but all of the things in my repertoire. And I'm also doing in-person. So, for example, I've done a couple here locally. I went to Louisville. I'm about to go to Las Vegas. And I think I have a, a couple other things. But, you know, Don, I also am a little on the edge with some of these in-person ones because I feel like any day now I'm going to get an email that said, you know, we think for safety reasons we need to switch to virtual. So I'm prepared to do either one. Now, advantages and disadvantages. From a speaker perspective, one of the advantages of being in person is, of course, that relationship and that immediate reaction. When I tell a story and it has an emotional pull that might bring people to tears, I know it because I see it. Or when I make them laugh out loud, I know it because I see it. Now, when it's virtual, and a lot of these are webinar-based, meaning you don't even see their faces, you have to give it that pause, and secretly in the back of your mind, you're sort of praying that they're reaction, reacting. And one of the best things that can happen is when you get the evaluations afterwards, and there's a comment based on one of those things, like um, one of my stories, and I won't go into it, but it, there's, a, there's a line in it about crash courses. And one of the attendees had wrote crash course. I'm still laughing about that. And when I read that, I was like, oh, thank goodness it landed because otherwise you don't know. So an advantage of being in person, of course, is the relationship and a relationship is huge. I do make an effort to build relationships virtually. I am a huge advocate for looking into the camera. Don't look at the screen. The camera, while you don't see your audience's faces, even if they are on video, it's not where their eyes are. Look into the camera. It's hard. It's very it hard. It takes practice to 
to do to do that to look at that little dot above it, the screen it does and to know where your camera is because some people have it at the bottom of their screen yeah. some people have it at the top i use a desktop for example and so i have a webcam on top of the monitor my monitor is actually very big so it's a little high for me it's a tiny look upward as opposed to straight across but you have to know where your webcam is and make adjustments accordingly. If it's if you're using a phone, your webcam's going to be in the corner somewhere. So there are things that people really need to watch for. And so that's a disadvantage of, of virtual. Now, one thing that I do like is I'm a little bit of an introvert. You're probably saying she is. But the people that know me go, oh, yeah, she's don't interrupt her when she's concentrating. Don't interrupt her when she's setting up her computer or when she's going through her files, if she's getting ready. Being virtual works really well for the introvert in me because I can set up without having people come up and say, so what are you going to talk about? <laughs> or just want to introduce themselves and say hi. And you're trying to you're trying to work. Right, yeah. which is wonderful. Do I want people to talk to me? Yes. Sure. Do I want relationships? Yes. But I have had people trip over my cords. I've had people knock documents off to the side that I needed to use. You know, I've had things happen. And when you've got enough on your mind and you want to set up for the audience so that they get the best of you, it doesn't really help to have people in your inside your bubble when it's just not the right time. Yeah. So tell me about this little side hustle called being an actress. Have you been in anything that we would recognize? Uh, yeah, a movie <laughs> that that uh, was out actually in the theaters? Yeah, all three of them were in theaters. The first one I was ever in was called One on One, and it was with Robbie Benson. And it was filmed in Fort Collins, Colorado, and I was just in the background. You would see me walking around the campus and that kind of thing in certain shots where he was talking to Annette O'Toole, who was his love interest. So One on One was my first one. One on One basically is based on him being a basketball player, by okay. the way. Right. The second one was I Want to Hold Your Hand, which was loosely based on the lead girl, and this was Susan Newman, this was Paul Newman's daughter, was the lead in that particular movie. And it was about, I think it was like about her love of the Beatles or something like that. That was my second one. Again, I was in the background. The third one is where I got my SAG card, Screen Actors Guild. And that was called Going Ape. And I did stunts and photo doubling. So every time you see me, here's where you can laugh, Don, I'll let you. I was dressed as an orangutan <laughs> or I was a dead body on a gurney. So if you can see the dead body in the gurney and you see me well enough, you will recognize me in my prone state on a gurney. But every other time, I'm not visible. The main thing that, that I also did in that movie is I was the photo double for Tony Danza's love interest, a actress named Stacy Nelkin. Stacy was also is also short. You can't see me, but I'm five foot one. And Stacy's also very short. And so I was her photo double, meaning every time they needed to set up, move cameras, do things like that, I stood in for her so she wouldn't have to break a sweat. 
you know. Sure. But I did get to work with Tony Danza and Danny DeVito and a few other people. Now, since then, I've done some stage work, and I do belong to an acting agency here where I've um, I've been able to audition for commercials. I got cast in a Mellow Yellow commercial. That's a uh, drink. It's like a soda. Um, but honestly, Don, the scheduling almost never works for me because you have to be available for the audition, the callback, and the shoot dates. And in my schedule, there's almost never a time when all three are available. Yeah. I'm also limited that because I'm SAG-AFTRA, and AFTRA stands for American Federation of Television Radio Artists. They merged with SAG about five years ago. Because I'm a union member, I can only be in union work. So if there's an audition that calls for non-union, I can't even step up. And Arizona isn't actually getting a lot of union work. So that's kind of the short, yeah. not so short answer of my acting. But I think it will work someday. I stay in the union. I don't want to let it go. If I were to ever drop out of the union, it would be really, really hard to get back in. Yeah. And that sounds like fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know any, I don't think I know any actresses. Wow. Thank you. Even if your big role was inside of a monkey suit. <laughs> Yeah, and I have a picture, a signed autograph picture from Tony Danza and Danny DeVito, and I was looking at it the other day thinking, you know, I really should have that restored because their signatures, since this was 1980, 81, I mean, the picture and the signatures are almost not legible anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, people out there listening, if you want to see... Stephanie in the movies, now you know which movies to go find. Yeah, please go see them because I still get teeny tiny residual <laughs> checks. <laughs> what is your long-term objective? You know, I don't necessarily want to state my age, but this question comes up a lot because family members are saying, realistically, how much longer do you want to work? And while I have the energy and the interest to work for probably the next 10 years, there's also this part of me that says, you know, in about five years, why not just do a lot of traveling and stuff? I've been in 11 countries. I would like to go back to some of them, and I'd like to also add to that list. I've been to probably 48 of the 50 states, and there are a couple on my bucket list I'd like to knock out. So the long-term objective for me, at the very least, would be to really put it out there for the next couple of years. I also have a very exciting partnership that I just developed as of about January, and I'd like to share with you a little bit about that. But she and I are around the same level. I'm actually a year older than she is, and both of us have this conversation about, you know, do we want to work for two, three more years and then enjoy traveling and things like that while we are able to. You know, I'll, I'll give you an example in 2000, pardon me, uh, 1997, my first time in, in Italy, I was at the, um, it wasn't the Tower of Pisa, I actually can't remember where I was, but it was one of those towers that had a staircase that just went winding and winding and winding up. And unfortunately, outside, there would be quite elderly people that were sitting there because they could not do the staircase. So they've come all the way to Italy from America 
and cannot do probably half of the things. And my husband and I looked at, our, at each other and said, we don't ever want that to be us, right? So there's that to keep in mind as well. And so, you know, I have gone back to Europe in 11 countries, like I said, but I want to be able to do these things while I can enjoy them. Great. Talk about your partnership. I mentioned a little while ago that I invented the company Culture Game. And I happen to be doing a speaking engagement for an organization that was a, an accounting women's finance organization right around when the pandemic started. So it was a virtual presentation. Again, nothing new for me. And the president of the organization and I were talking about my other offerings because I was doing, for them, I was doing my Mastering Strategic Thinking session. And when I told her about the game, she said, well, do you know who Marcy Maslov is? And I said, no, never heard of her. And she said, well, you ought to meet her because she's an ethics expert. And she also invented an ethics game some 15 years ago or 16, 17, something like that. I think you two ought to talk. So I said, okay, you know, and half the time, honestly, Don, when people say, I think you should meet so-and-so, it's not that good. But a couple of times it has been great. And so I reached out to Marcy and we had a very nice conversation. And as we started to keep up the conversation, we began to really look at the synergy between ethics and company culture. And one night I was literally lying in bed and I thought, ethics, culture, ethics, culture, ethics, culture, ethics, culture, and kaboom, in my head, I got this concept of ethature. It's a single word, and I've trademarked it, or I'm in the process of it, actually, at this time of this recording. And Marcy and I have created a keynote called Ethature, where ethics and culture merge. And it's really all about looking at the ethics that a company's leaders hold, and even the members of the company, and how that segues into our values and how our values become our culture. Right. And so we have had the opportunity to debut the keynote and a workout, a, a, excuse me, a breakout session that features her game, the E Factor game, and my company culture game. And so it's been really, really exciting. And we're taking the show on the road. That's great. <clears throat> Sounds very exciting. What a great combination. And like you said, maybe those introductions don't always come to anything. Mm -hmm. In this case, it sounded like it's a perfect match. Yeah, it really is. And we have a great working relationship. And and interestingly enough, just we've only actually been in person twice due to the pandemic. But the first time we actually met in person after numerous Zoom conversations, we got to know each other a little bit and found out that we actually personally have a lot of interesting things in common. So I think that that's added coolness. Stephanie... You have a fascinating career, a fascinating professional speaking career, very interesting work you do. For a new Toastmaster who might be listening, or maybe even a non-Toastmaster who might be listening to this podcast, do you have any advice for them about how to get started in something like this? If there, There's a lot of people out there who have story to share or want to want to share their knowledge or their passion in a professional speaking way. 
you have any advice for the folks who are just starting out? I do. I have a couple things that I would say. First of all, decide exactly what your lane is. There are people out there that say, well, I speak on leadership and I speak on this and I speak on that. And they've got like 15 to 40 things in their repertoire. No. Narrow it down, find your path and work on that. Now, do people change their path eventually? You know, like I did from domestic violence to company culture. Yes, of course. Find your path and stick in that lane. Number one. Number two, the way to really get started is to build a resume. And the best places to start building your resume of speaking in front of people, aside from Toastmasters, would be things like you mentioned Rotary Clubs, Kiwanis, organizations like that. They're they're not going to pay, and that's okay, but it gets you at least seen. It gets you to understand what it's like to be in front of audiences. It helps you to learn how you have to know your audience. It helps you to also learn flexibility, what it's like to step into different speaking environments, because they're going to be different all the time. You know, I stepped into something when I spoke in June in Louisville that was new to me because of the way they did it with the hybrid fashion that they did. I had people in the room, but I was also on camera, which made me forced to stay within a little block area, which I'm kind of accustomed to when I'm only on camera, but it meant I couldn't go out and be with the people in the room. So there were interesting dynamics with that. And so you need to learn the flexibility of what different environments are like and how to actually work with cameras, lighting, microphones and things like that. I'm not an AV expert like you are, Don, by any stretch of the imagination, but you do have to some some knowledge because that's your job. Yeah. Right. So those are a couple things that I would say to begin with for new people. I'm reminded of Darren LaCroix's buzzwords, stage time, stage time, stage time. Yeah. Every opportunity you have to speak in front of people, whatever it is, take it. Yeah. And I've had the opportunity to meet Darren on a couple of occasions, and his business partner, Mark Brown, is actually a good friend of mine. So he is, they are both really, really wonderful. And they have a lot of offerings. You know, I don't know if I should actually plug somebody's business, but they have a lot of offerings that for Toastmasters would be phenomenal. And they come from the Toastmaster root, the the, the roots of Toastmasters. Yeah. If you're not aware, Darren LaCroix was the world champion of public speaking about 20 years ago. And I was in the room when he gave that speech. It was phenomenal. Ah, you were in the room, yeah. I was. I was at the convention. And Mark Brown was the two thousand what nineteen ninety nine uh, world class world. I'm not sure yeah. what his years were, and I wasn't there for that one, but I was there for Darren's. Uh, fantastic! If you you want to see a great speech, I don't know if it's on YouTube. I bet you it is. It is. Go look for Darren Lacroix, L A C R O I X, and you will find that amazing speech. Yeah. He did some things that were just so creative, and it showed the breadth of what a public speaker can do. It's not just a boring, factual speech. It was entertaining. It was funny. It was sad. It was uplifting. And I imagine listening to you, I've I've heard you speak in practice sessions about the company culture, and you've got some amazing stories that just resonate. Thank you for that. That story of the young African-American man who started off doing 
one of the lowest level jobs in the company yeah and and ended up showing his his capability and being willing to you know have an advocate and he he shined he blossomed he did and here's an interesting nuance about that whole thing i never described him racially i talked about his physical stature and how he walked in slumped over and wearing a hoodie over his head because he wanted to hide from the world to escape the fact that he had been incarcerated for drug offenses. The way people got that innuendo, in a sense, was the slide, the picture that I showed of from the nose down, so you don't even see the eyes, but the nose down, an African-American man in a tuxedo well, the first picture is, is one wearing a hoodie. And then when I talk about his turnaround and what we were able to do for him as a company and a culture of learning, which is also one of the things I train on, how he really turned his life around and what he's doing now for his community and the business owner that he's become. But it is interesting, and I did that very deliberately by making it a subtle, non-spoken picture yeah. of who this person is because the race wasn't important right yeah what was important was the fact that he came in unsure of himself or his capabilities and he was given a chance yeah to to shine and he did and that he did and that he did and for that sure. it was a great lesson for business people that don't make assumptions about what people are capable of. True. And because you may have the best employee down in the mailroom. And all of the stories that I tell come from my personal experience in the sense of how I was affected. It's a story that from my own personal life, some of them funny, 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 and some of them devastating stories that I often question, do I really want to share this? There's one particular story, and I actually am not going to share it on this podcast, but there's one particular story that I am very selective about which audiences I share it with. Other stories are street credibility in the sense of what I did professionally, who I personally worked with, like the story of Greg that you've heard, or other employees and coworkers that I've had in the workplace and so forth. So everything is is the sense that I'm not sharing something that somebody else ever shared unless I do it by giving them credit for it, which is also a rule for new speakers. If you're new Toastmasters or want to merge into the professional speaking business, we have seen many people share a quote as if it's their own. And that's a huge no-no. You really always want to make sure that whether it's the pictures that you use or the music, Don, as you and I have spoken of mm -hmm. in the past, or a quote, you need to give credit where credit is due. Right. Is, yeah. Yeah, honor the, the hard work of the original artist or uh, thinker. Not only does it honor that person who originated the work of art, but it speaks to your own ethics and your own credibility because you will lose audiences that immediately think of you as not being honest and truthful. And you won't get away with saying it and hope that nobody notices because these days 
people can Google everything. Yeah. And they'll find that quote and it says, wait a minute. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It, w- it won't stay uh, safe for very long. Yeah. You'll get caught. Yeah. And you, right. Always give credit. True. Well, Thank you for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to give you credit for having given me a great interview. This was fun. I hope you enjoyed it. I did. And I appreciate you spending the, the afternoon with me. Hello, everyone. This has been Stephanie Angelo telling us about her speaking career, her Toastmaster years, and all the things on her calendar for the future. Thank you for being part of the show. Thank you for having me, Don. What fun. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Grand Canyon Echoes, the voice of District 3 Toastmasters. To volunteer to be featured on the podcast or to suggest future topics, write podcast at aztoastmasters.org. That email again is podcast at aztoastmasters.org. Toastmasters International and all other Toastmasters International trademarks and copyrights are the sole property of Toastmasters International. This podcast is independent of Toastmasters International. It is not endorsed by, sponsored by, affiliated with, or otherwise connected with Toastmasters International, other than for the use of the name Toastmasters International.